0: Revelation. revelation 1 The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so... Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty.
1: When have you been most motivated by another person? Was it that teacher before a concert, a play, or a contest? Was it that coach from the dugout, the edge of the mat, the team tent, or the locker room? Was it a consultant or a life coach as your career took a new turn? When have you been most motivated? Most likely, it was not from a speaker on a stage, but a person who was positioned close enough to touch you. And from that close position, from that influential person, you were motivated to do something new. Second question. When have you been most optimistic about your future? Was it when you got that college acceptance letter? When you received word of the scholarship? Perhaps when that newborn was placed in your arms. When she finally said, I do... When the oncologist said your treatments are finished now we observe when have you felt most optimistic about your future now i'm guessing that those two times when you were most motivated and <coughs> excuse me and when you were most optimistic are not the same time because the first time was meant to empower your abilities. But that second time, for most of us anyway, involves somebody else who acted on our behalf. We were optimistic about what someone else was going to do that was going to bring benefit to us. As we start the book of Revelation, Revelation is that second category. Now, I will tell you in advance right now that today's sermon is unlikely to make you feel like you can conquer the world. It's not that motivation sermon. But if I can effectively communicate what God has placed on my heart, you will leave this building knowing that God is in control, so everything is going to work out in the end. You may not be motivated, but you will be optimistic that God is going to act on your behalf. This week has been a faith carnival ride for me. On Tuesday, I received word about two of our church family. One seemed to be, well, just give it some more time. The other member of our church family heard, things right now are unknown, but we do have a plan. Then the news in the media on Wednesday left me downcast about the moral state of our country. Thursday, I was comforted by my family as all of my siblings gathered around my mother and father and prayed together for my mom before her surgery. Then Friday, the surgery took twice as long as we expected, but God was gracious to my mother, and he was glorified by the conversations that we had in the waiting room. Saturday... One of my close friends delivered a 34-week baby whom the doctors had advised to abort. And baby Kyla did not have the genetic condition that they had diagnosed. See, my emotions have been like this all week, and yours may have been very similar. Yours may have been a good, a good Memorial Day and pretty flat the rest of the week. I don't know what your experience is. But today, as I stand before you, all four of the medical needs, the two in our church family, my mother and baby Kyla, th- those needs remain, but... I am greatly encouraged that we have an almighty God who is more than able to work in each of these situations (coughs) to His glory. To be honest with you, I have always had And I still have a hesitancy to preach the book of Revelation. This is the first time I've preached it as the whole book. But what convinced me to take this leap at this time is that even though I don't fully understand the situation that will unfold, I do trust the Savior who will minister to those who remain. And he will emerge the victor in the end. I don't know the situation of your life, but I do know the Savior who will emerge victor. And that's the message of the book that we will study this summer. The message is, do not allow circumstances to discourage you. Because we have a Savior who is at work, both during the events and also in the final victory. Today we take delivery of the package. We will open up the package and see what it contains. But first, as the package is being delivered to us, the delivery driver and us, the recipients, need to check... Check the outside of the box to make sure it is our gift. And as we look on the outside of the box, we do see the gift tag. Maybe it's not moving. If you'd like to follow me from over there, that would be good. The gift tag is shown in verses 1 through 3. And the first thing I notice as I look at the outside of the parcel that we receive is that the one who is being revealed is Jesus himself. The biggest debate in this verse among commentators is the meaning of the word of. Remember when we were told it depends on what is, is, is. Well, for us to understand the revelation of Jesus Christ, we need to know what the meaning of, of, is, of. See, the word of is not in the original text. In the original text, it's only three words, Revelation, Jesus Christ. But that word of that is in our English translation makes it flow and it brings out the understanding that those who understood that first language would understand. But of is a way of smoothing out for English readers 33 different meanings. Three of the very common ofs are the of, of source, It is the revelation where Jesus is the source. Some, it's the revelation about Jesus. The revelation of Jesus is a revelation about Jesus. And others, it would be, this is the revelation belonging to Jesus Christ. So when we read the revelation of Jesus Christ, is this telling us that he is the source? Is it telling us that he is the object? Is it telling us that it belongs to him? And the commentators each pick their favorite. Someone has said that you can ask three professors for their opinion and receive ten answers. And I think even though they may give us ten answers to one question, the answer to what does of mean is yes. Yes, this is the revelation about Jesus. Yes, this is the revelation from Jesus. Yes, this is the revelation that belongs to Jesus. Paul put it this way in Romans eleven thirty six: For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. The revelation of Jesus Christ is a revelation from him and through him and to him. And it all belongs to him because he deserves the glory. See, the rest of verse 1 of Revelation chapter 1 tells us that the revelation comes through Jesus to us. And then if we look down at verse 5, we read that it tells us that this revelation is about what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do. So it is both the revelation from Jesus and it is the revelation about Jesus. In Kids Club, or in Children's Sermon, when questions are asked, the most frequent answer is God. Followed secondly by Jesus. And and while God and Jesus is not the birthday that we celebrate today, God, or Jesus, is usually a, a pretty safe bet when asked... What is a particular book of the Bible about? If someone asks you, what is Revelation about? The safe answer is Jesus. Because the book starts with, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation is Jesus talking about Jesus. And we see in the first part of verse 3 that the one who reads this scripture is one who is blessed. We can never go wrong when we as a people are moving toward a better understanding of Jesus. When we gather together in this place, some of us need salvation, some of us need comfort, some of us need challenge, some of us need encouragement, but all of us need Jesus. And we never waste time together when we are better learning about Jesus. And so the one who reads the revelation about Jesus from Jesus is learning about Jesus, which contributes to our blessing. See, the understanding that we have of Jesus is not just cognitive, it's in our experience. When we understand that God is in us and around us and working through us, it's something that we experience, not just something that we know. And by reading aloud these words, both the reader and the listener are moved experientially towards a better understanding. And that experiential understanding is a blessing As we open the book of Revelation, this is not just information. It is not just education. It is meant to be transformation. When we see God at work in our world, it transforms us. It increases our faith and it encourages our obedience. It transforms us from the inside out. The one who reads this book is blessed. The second part of verse 3 tells us that the one who responds to this book is blessed. Because we are being formed as spiritual beings by the Holy Spirit who takes up residence at the moment of our salvation. That Holy Spirit that indwells us is transforming us from the inside out. Not just to know, not just to be, but to do. The Holy Spirit starts by changing our identity so that we know that we are a new creation. But then it transforms our behaviors so that others will know that we are a new creation. Yesterday, men and women on horses rode past our building here on 8th Street. And as they rode, I noticed the horses, the hats, the boots... But I don't know if they were real rodeo heroes or real cattlemen. I saw the hats, the boots, and the horses, but I don't know if they know what end of a a cow is a cow. I've heard that it's possible to be all hat and no cowboy. I've heard that it's possible to be all horn and no bull. And those of us who are seated in this room this morning, sitting in these seats does not tell the world that you are a Christian. It's possible for you to be all dress and no doctrine. It's possible for you to be all suit and no salvation. The Holy Spirit is transforming us, not just to look like a cowboy on the outside, but to be a cowboy or cowgirl, or cow person. Not just to look like a suit, or to wear a dress, but to know doctrine, and to be saved. See, John says that the person who hears, or reads, and keeps, the one who does, is the one who experiences blessings. We are blessed when we know what God is doing in us, and we are blessed when God uses us to encourage others as well. Blessed is he who hears and keeps. Because the last part of verse 3 tells us that the reckoning is coming. To borrow an analogy from the rodeo this weekend, the chute is about to open. And when the chute opens, the entire arena finds out if you are hat or cowboy. When the chute opens, they find out if you are suit or saved. If you are all lips, what we say, or all lover. Do you simply talk about Jesus or do you love like Jesus? John says, He's coming. The time is near. The chute is about to open and everybody will know. Are you all hat? Now that we know who sent the parcel and why the parcel was sent to us, let's proceed by opening the gift in verses 4 through 8. I see in the first part of verse 4 that the person who is writing this is the Apostle John. And if we are going to learn something about Jesus, John is uniquely qualified to be our tutor. It's John who was closest to Jesus at the Last Supper. It's John who was part of Jesus' inner circle of Peter, James, and John. It's John that Jesus entrusts his mother to his care from the cross. Besides the women, it was John who was the first at the empty tomb. And he refers to himself in the gospel, not by his own name, but by the the disciple that Jesus loved. So if we're going to learn something about Jesus, it's best to learn it from the one who was closest to him, whom he loved the most, because the one who is loved is able to tell us the most about The lover. There are some people that you know better than others. There are some people who know you better than others know you. And John is the one who knows Jesus well enough to benefit our discipleship. He's one I want to listen for. Then in the second part of verse 4, we see that this John, who knows and loves and is loved by Jesus, he offers a prayer. The prayer is that you would know grace and peace. Just as dear and sincerely appear in many of our letters, grace and peace appear in many of the biblical letters. But grace and peace are not mere formalities. They are prayers to God on behalf of those who would receive the letter. Grace is God's perspective of us. When John prays that you would know grace, this is a one-word prayer that whoever reads this letter would know the grace of God. That you would identify yourself as centered in the reality of God's grace. Many of you realize how much God's view of you is based only upon His grace, which is merited by Christ. God's view of me is not in my ability. God's view of me is not the sum of my experiences. God's view of me is not the telling of my story. God's view of me is His grace where He views me through the finished blood of Jesus Christ. Grace is our experience of how God views us, which leads to the second request of this prayer, peace. When you know grace from God, you can experience peace in this life. When we find our identity in Christ's grace, we experience peace. Gone are the anxieties of, I'm not good enough. Gone are the anxieties of, well, what if happens? I'll be vulnerable with you for just a moment. There was a short time on Friday after my mom went on heart-lung bypass when I began to think, what would dad's life be like if she doesn't make it off the table? Knowing that both mom and dad are in Christ and that God loves them even more than I do, a strange peace came over me. As 2 Corinthians 12, 9 literally came to my mind, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. If she doesn't make it off the table, God's grace to dad would be sufficient enough because God's power is made perfect when our weakness is exposed. And in that moment, I experienced the peace of God spoken of in Philippians 4-7 that surpasses all understanding. And I've heard some of you in hospital waiting rooms describe that very same peace that comes from knowing God's grace. When we know God's grace, we experience His peace. And His grace, it is a triune source. It comes from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It comes from God the Father that we see described as the one who is, who was, and who is to come. We see it in the Holy Spirit, which you're probably scratching your head a little bit when you read the seven spirits who are before His throne. I thought Miss Macy just told us that there is one Holy Spirit. Now, why does John say there are seven spirits? Well, since John is about to use a lot of symbolic language throughout the book of Revelation, he starts here with the symbolism. Seven is the biblical number of completion. Once you hit seven, it's complete, it's whole. After seven days of a week, what happens? The week's done and a new week begins. And Isaiah chapter 11 gives us an idea of how the one spirit works in seven ways. Isaiah 11 2, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So Isaiah has already given us the seven ways that the one spirit works in us. And John in the book of Revelation is referring back to the complete Holy Spirit. You don't get a portion of the Holy Spirit when you get saved and a portion later when you learn to speak in tongues and a portion later because the Holy Spirit is a person. We get the whole person at the moment of salvation, but the whole person works in seven different ways. And so John refers to him as the sevenfold spirit that is before the throne. And then we see the Son from the one who was, is, and went to come, from the seven spirits, and from Jesus Christ. Now notice with me verses 5 and 6, which tells us that all praise goes to who? All praise throughout the book will go to Jesus. Because Jesus is the faithful witness. He is faithful because he did all that he was sent to do. He was faithful even to the point of death. And this word witness, the faithful witness, is actually the word martus, from which we get martyr. He was the faithful martyr. He was faithful to do what the Father sent him to do all the way to his death, so he now proclaims faithfully All of our praise goes to Jesus because he is a faithful witness. He is the firstborn of the dead. To all of us who will accept his lordship, he's the first of the rest of us. It says all praise goes to Jesus because he is the ruler of the kings. The kings are those who would deny his lordship. So if you are one person who accepts the lordship of Christ, you are among the firstborn firstborn from the dead. If you are one who rejects the lordship of Christ, you would be one of the kings, and he's the lord over both. He is a lord who, notice the tense of this, loves us. And it's literally, he is the one who is loving us. See, many of us think that he loved us when he died for us, He loved us when we were born. He loved us when we were saved. But what John says right here is is that Jesus is the one who is loving us at this very moment. He is the one who freed us from our sin. This is something that he did in the past, but it causes a current reality. He freed us then with the implication that we are still free. And he made us priests. He's given us dignity. He's given us purpose. And because Jesus has done all of this, John then is prompted to offer the doxology. Oh, when I think about you, Lord Jesus, to you be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And when we gaze upon Jesus with this level of praise, our hearts are also stirred with, He is the one who deserves our praise. He is the one who deserves our obedience. He is the one who deserves our adoration. The book of Revelation says, All praise goes to Jesus. Then in verse 7, we see the prophecy. In verse 7, the prophecy is that He will return. His return is coming so that every eye will see Him. Those who tried to end Him in the past will see Him. Those of us who long for His returning in the future, we will see Him. And Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, speaks of him coming in the clouds. And so John here is tying to the Old Testament as he says, the one who is coming on the clouds is the very same one who is prophesied all the way book in, all the way back in the book of Daniel. The prophecy is that he will return. It has been told. John believed it in his day, and we continue to look forward to the reality that... Jesus is coming to make all things right. And as we think about Jesus' involvement in our world, we see what's happening around us. We see evil. We see pain. We see injustice. We see mistreatment. And we wonder, where is God of all of this? Verse 8 then reminds us that God's presence His presence that comforts us is an eternal presence. It starts with that word, I am. God says, I am present. There has never been a time when I am was not there. There will never be a time when I am is not there. God's presence is an eternal presence. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God was speaking with Moses at the burning bush. And Moses says, who are you? And God identifies in Hebrew, haya, which means, I am. In John chapter 9, verse 9, there's lots of discussion about who Jesus is. And and he replies in the Greek language, emi, which means... I am. God told Moses, I am. Jesus told the disciples, I am. And Jesus told to John here in verse 8 that I am. God's presence in the eternal now always was, always is, and always will be. Not only will he always be present, his presence will always be Almighty. This word almighty, I, I, I look back, and it's the word crater." Isn't that a cool word? It's literal. It literally means all power. But it sounds, in John's language, crater," like onomatopoeia. Remember what onomatopoeia is? Onomatopoeia is when a word sounds like what it means. Like buzz. The word buzz sounds like a buzz. Sting sounds like a sting. And so there are some words that sound like what they mean. And I believe that I am the one who was, who is, who is to come, and I am the pontocrator. It's as if everywhere God steps, He leaves a crater indicating that He has been there. That's the word almighty. The God who was, the God who is, the God who is to come is so present, the evidence of His presence remains after He moves forward. See, as John introduced this book, it's a book that can cause a lot of fear if we hear these words. But if you read the book of Revelation and you begin to fear about what's about to happen, just remember Jesus is the Ponto who always has and always will act on your behalf. From beginning to end, He is the Almighty. The point of this message and each message of this series is that Jesus is sufficient for whatever you may face because Jesus is the Ponto Crater. I don't fully understand the situation that will unfold in the end times. I don't fully understand the situation that you are going to walk through this week. But I do trust the Savior who is sufficient for whatever you may face. I do trust the Savior who will minister to those who remain and he will emerge victor in the end. Amen. Our final song this morning is the hymn